Today on Blue 58, the Packers hung tough against the Los Angeles Chargers and came out with a win. Is this team turning a corner, or did the Chargers just trip over themselves? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, and I am happy to be with you here for another episode. There's always pressure as you talk and write and maybe just chat with your friends about a given football game. I think for game to just be one thing. And you can see this tendency in a lot of traditional sports media, TV, you know, your, your talk shows on the radio or on TV, newspaper columns, blog posts, whatever. People just want to be able to hold up a game and say, this was the game that was about fill in the blank. This was the game that the Packers figured out how to win. This is the game where Jordan Love became the franchise quarterback or the rookies really took a step forward or the defense really got things done against a good quarterback and wide receiver pair. But you can also talk about it being different things. You could say this is the game where the Chargers just tripped over themselves and let the Packers, basically let the Packers win. The, the, the Chargers lost more than the Packers won. If Keenan Allen doesn't lose a couple balls in the sun, if Quentin Johnson doesn't drop a big pass on the final drive, if you don't have a fumbled snap on the final drive and Keenan Allen not getting out of bounds on a short out route, blah, blah, blah. The Chargers just lost this game. They fell apart. They couldn't win. They just did not beat a Packers team that was very, very beatable, as we've seen, well, numerous times this year. If you want to make the case that that's what this game was about, you could probably make that case too. But I'm reminded what we said way back in the summer about what this season was going to be about. And I think this is still true. It's still true that this season is more about feelings than about everything else, more about vibes, more about how you feel about the direction where the Packers are going. Because I think, and this season seems to be proving it more and more every week, that no matter what story you want to pull out of this game, out of a game, out of the season, You can find it, and you can find evidence for it. If you want to say that after this game, Jordan Love shows that he's a franchise quarterback, I think you've got ammunition there. If you want to say, well, Jordan Love made some plays, but a lot of this was on the Chargers, and if the Chargers you know, are able to score a couple more points or take advantage of a couple of the Packers' miscues, or if uh, Jordan Love's fumble on a sack bounces a different way, the Chargers are in business there and probably go on to win win the game. All of those things are true, too, and you can go play by play throughout this game and say these are the plays that show that Jordan Love is not good or these are the plays that show that Jordan Love is good. You can do that with the defense. You can do that with just about any player on this whole team. The bottom line might be how this team makes you feel, and it feels like the Packers are moving in the right direction. Matt LaFleur said post game you're only as good as your last win or you're only as good as your last game. And I think that's that's ultimately true. But the Packers have put together over the past month or so better games than we saw from them early in the season. And that doesn't sound like much, but shoot, remember how bad things looked there for a month after that first win against the Chicago Bears. So I'm left kind of with this one question after this game. What if it's really just more than one thing? Maybe a game like this is the Packers figuring out how to win, but also being able to take advantage of when other teams trip over themselves. Austin Eckler fumbling. The Packers putting together a long drive for the go-ahead touchdown, aided, of course, in part by a defensive pass interference call. 
Maybe it's the defense just doing just enough when the Chargers aren't self-destructing to keep this game from busting wide open when the Packers were trailing. I don't know. I don't know what the ultimate answer is, but it does feel like things are starting to go better for the Packers. So let's just talk through this game. Let's talk about the good, the bad, and everything in between. The good, I think, has to start with Jaden Reed. We talked about, we checked in on really all the rookies in our season, or not our season, our, our preview game for this week. More was all I said about Jaden Reed in terms of what we want to see from him the rest of the way. We got to see more from Jaden Reed down the stretch. We got to see more from him in all aspects of the game. Well, we saw that today. Seven touches is a career high for him. Four catches, three as a runner, and he had explosive plays both as a runner and as a receiver. He did it all today, and he did it all quite well. This is the third time he said 75 or more yards from scrimmage in a game. It looks like the Packers have added a pretty awesome piece in Reed to their offense. I think we also have to give credit to the explosive passing of the Packers offense in general. The Packers finally found a way to consistently get players going down the field. Five different receivers had an explosive game today. Of course, Jaden Reed was one of them, but also Dontavian Wicks, Romeo Dobbs, uh, A.J. Dillon had one, and Tucker Kraft also had an explosive play. Christian Watson's touchdown, meanwhile, I would say felt like an explosive play. It was reminiscent of one of his touchdowns against the Cowboys last year, just a deep, not really deep because it was only like an 11-yard touchdown, but a route taking him across the field from right to left, allowing him to get deep at speed. That's what we wanted from him for most of the season. It was really cool that we actually actually got to see it and that it resulted in a touchdown. That's what Christian Watson does well. He runs fast, and he just eats up space when he does move fast or, in, or is able to get moving fast because he's just so darn tall that he really eats up a lot of ground in a hurry. Matt LaFleur gave tight end coach John Dunn the credit for identifying the defensive tendency that allowed Watson to get open for that play. Drawing it up is how it was characterized by Jordan Love on the sideline. I don't know if that's really an accurate way of you know describing that play, but putting Watson in a situation where he could run a route that was basically guaranteed to get him moving quickly across the deep portion of the field is... You know, that doesn't roll off the tongue quite like saying they drew up a play. But they got Watson open and got him doing something that we thought he should be doing for a long time. That is a big step forward for this offense. Uh, Jordan Love may never be an elite, you know, deep ball thrower. But if you find ways to get those chunk plays by throwing intermediate routes that then grow into these bigger plays, that is... That is something that you can build off of. There are plenty of guys in the NFL who don't have, you know, elite, insane, deep ball ability. There are plenty of guys. I I don't even know if Jordan Love doesn't have a strong arm as much as just can't complete things accurately down the field. But there are guys that get by with arms that are not just enormous. Tua Tonga-Vailoa, of course, is probably the premier example in Miami right now. Doesn't have a cannon for an arm. But he knows how to set up Tyreek Hill and Jaden Waddle in ways that you know they can get tons of yards after the catch. And of course, uh, Mike McDaniel being a psychopath designing plays and stuff like that doesn't hurt either. Joe Burrow doesn't have the world's biggest arm. For a more like historical example, uh, Drew Brees, well, 
man, I feel old now, Drew Brees being a historical example, but the league moves fast. Drew Brees never had a big cannon for an arm, but ball placement, identifying coverages, stuff like that, you can win with all those sorts of things. And even if Love is not throwing 60-yard bombs, he still had 340-some passing yards today, that's enough to get things done. And it got things done for the Packers today. Finally, on defense, the red zone defense, I think, deserves some kudos. Son or not, the Packers came up big in the red zone today, taking advantage of poor plays and and being there to fall on a ball, get your hand on a ball. Bend but don't break. The Packers kept the Chargers out of the end zone. That is a win. And it helped the Packers get, you know, well on their way to a win today. Of course, today wasn't perfect. There was plenty of stuff that we can talk about. Some of it may feel a little bit nitpicky. Some of it more, look, just kind of bad vibes in this game at at, at times. The first big one, I think, on everybody's mind is Aaron Jones' injury. It looked pretty bad. Matt LaFleur said post-game it does not look like a long-term thing. Aaron Jones said he believed, or I, I don't know if they confirmed it wasn't an ACL after the game, but they're getting an MRI tomorrow. They don't think it's the ACL. Nevertheless, this is this was a bad injury uh, for the Packers. Obviously, it takes one of their main offensive engines out uh, for the Packers more broadly because with uh, Emmanuel Wilson also hurt, A.J. Dillon is the only healthy back on the roster. They're going to have to make some moves because I believe they've only got one healthy back on the practice squad. If you elevate him, I couldn't even tell you his name for the life of me right now. Um, if they elevate him, you still probably are going to need one more guy just to have in case things start going sideways, in case somebody can't cut it. Just assuming that on a short week, uh, Jones for sure is going to be out. Emmanuel Wilson, it sounds like, probably isn't going to be available. You're just going to need more bodies. Unless you really want to get creative with Jaden Reed or maybe Josiah DeGuara, which I would love to see, but from a practical standpoint, you're probably going to need another back around. On a broader scale... This seems, and we I, you want to throw some caveats on here because it's possible they may find out that Aaron Jones' injury isn't all that bad on Monday. Again, it looked really bad. He got carted off. He was in visible pain the second the injury happened. He needed help to get off the field. Maybe it isn't that bad, but assuming the worst, even on a pretty aggressive timeline for, say, like a sprained MCL, he's going to miss two or three games here. And by that point, it's possible we're not playing meaningful Packers football anymore to the extent that, you know, even with a win today that their season still carries meaning in terms of getting the playoffs or something like that. But it's very likely that we've seen the end of Aaron Jones as an effective player for the Green Bay Packers, which is a real big bummer. Which leads me to something that I wanted to do anyway, but today seems like a really good opportunity, just kind of reflecting in that moment. Say it's not that bad. Okay, say he he does come back here in a couple of weeks. We still had a moment where it looked like everything was over for Aaron Jones. And during the game, I actually missed a few plays in my notes just thinking about, like, what does Aaron Jones mean to the Packers? Is he the best back of the 21st century? He's right up there with Amon Green and Eddie Lacy. He's climbed the all-time leaderboards. He's come from being a day three pick to a Pro Bowl caliber player, a great character guy in the locker room. And so this year for our charity fundraiser drive that we do near the end of every calendar year, I was thinking about focusing on his charity anyway. Adrian Amos's is no longer an option because he's not on the team any, anymore. We did Pat O'Donnell's last year. We did some stuff with Shamar John Charles the last couple of years too. 
they're all gone. Aaron Jones is the last charity remaining that we we have that we've supported. With things tenuous for his future in Green, Green Bay, both short-term and long-term, I thought it would be a great time to support his charity this year. So I thought we'd just kick things off right now. If you and, and I'll have more details about you know what prizes are available, things like that. But to enter the drawing that we have for the charity stuff every year, the, the rules are simple. Go to his website. Well, put a link to it in the show notes. But if you just search Aaron Jones Charity, you should be able to figure it out. You, the show was delivered to you via the internet. I assume you can figure it out from there. Google his charity, make a donation, take a screenshot of your donation, and email it to thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. You will be entered in the charity drawing. And I figured it was this year, it's a nice way to honor Aaron Jones for all the time that he's spent in Green Bay, the great player he is, and the great man that he is as well. He and his brother run this charity, do some great work for kids all over the country. Great way to pay tribute to Aaron Jones, regardless of what his future status is in Green Bay. The injuries in general, I felt, were a real bummer in this game, too. We've talked about Jones. We've talked about Emmanuel Wilson. Seeing Joey Bosa go down was a real bummer, too. Looked in like he was invisible, obvious pain. I haven't seen an update on that. I'm sure there's something floating around. It didn't look good. Again, another cart situation. And Dontavian Wicks, uh, in the concussion protocol, uh, it was revealed late in the game, which is a big t- would be a big deal normally, but it's an especially big deal considering that the Packers play a game again here on Thursday. So you're going to want to keep an eye on that throughout the remainder of the week. Of course, the real big bad thing today, not just you know vibes and injuries and the vibes related to injuries, was the Packers' special teams. They needed a game-winning drive at the end from Jordan Love and everybody because the special teams put them in that situation. A missed field goal, a missed point after makes this an entirely different game. And I've realized that you can do that with just about everything. There were some things leading up to the missed field goal that made it much harder than it had to be. A bad Jordan Love sack, for instance, made that a a much harder situation than they needed to be in. But, shoot, it it changed the game. And this has been a trend even in the Rich Bisaccia era that makes you just wonder, even when they hire this highly regarded special teams coach, are special teams just cursed in Green Bay? It doesn't ever seem to get better no matter who is in charge of special teams. It has not been overall, I think, a sizable improvement. The Packers have done better, I think, about staying out of their own way in terms of like penalties and stuff, but the execution still isn't great. There are some execution issues, of course, when you're dealing with as many young players as the Packers are. When you get rid of core special teamers like Rasul Douglas, who play a big role on special teams, when you're without your the guy who played the most snaps on special teams last year in Tyler Davis due to his knee injury. It's your job to coach him up, Rich. Uh, You got to do it regardless of who you have out there. And they just haven't gotten it done consistently this year. There have been some good things. The, the field goal operation by and large, I think has been pretty good, but the results on special teams still are lacking in a lot of ways. Not all on the coordinator, obviously, but still, this is this was a much harder game than it needed to be in part because of the special teams' miscues. The last thing I wanted to mention under the maybe bad thing banner was the offensive line rotation. So Rashid Walker gets the start at tackle. 
But Yash Nyman popped out onto the field and back off and then back on a couple other times as well. You also saw Sean Ryan come in for at least one series uh, for John Runyon, and I'm not sure if that was due to injury. I don't believe it was, but just consistently in flux throughout the afternoon. I don't know if we've just decided we're playing preseason football, which we've described this version of the Packers season as, you know, previously on this podcast, but just doing that seems like it's throwing a wrench in your, in the works of you trying to get a good evaluation on the rest of the roster. And this is something we've talked about being an issue in terms of where we're going to be at with Jordan Love by the end of the season. If the rest of the team can't play competent football around him, how good do you feel about your evaluation of Jordan Love anyway? If you don't know what Jordan Love is because the rest of the team around him is so lousy that you can't that he can't do anything, how do you know what he is? Does he have to play good in spite of that? That doesn't seem like a very good environment to be in. Related to that, I don't think it's been that big of a surprise that we've seen better results from Jordan Love over the past couple of weeks when the rest of the team is playing better. The Packers pass catchers have been better over the past two or three weeks. They've been more creative on offense, partly I think because the young players are finally just getting their feet under him. The offensive line has been solid in terms of pass protection really the entire year. And then you just want to start messing with that. I don't really get it. And I think I've been probably a bigger Adam Stenovich fan than most since 2019. Has he finally just reached the point where the barrel is empty? You're, you're digging past the bottom of the barrel with the, the offensive line stuff that you just don't have enough talent to do what you want to do. So you're trying to get a look at whoever you can. I don't know. I haven't been able to think of a good reason why you would want to do that. This isn't the first time we've seen something like this. Last year, seems like ages ago now, but when the Packers were still trying to work David Bakhtiari back into the lineup, he and Yash Nyman, at least during the Giants game and a little bit during the Lions game, I think, uh, rotated drives. This wasn't quite that, but Walker and Nyman were switching back and forth. It just seems like an odd sort of thing to do. So the good and the bad, what does it all mean? Again, it's, it's a feeling sort of situation. Do you feel better about the Packers and Jordan Love and the offense and Matt LaFleur now than you did a month ago? I think yes. I think this is the kind of game you look for from an improving team. Taking advantage of other teams' mistakes is huge. That's something the Packers couldn't really do all that well last year at times. When teams did make mistakes, they didn't bury them. They didn't take advantage of those weak moments. They haven't really done that all that much this year until the past couple of weeks. You saw it against the Rams. When the Rams couldn't get anything going on offense, the Packers, it took them a while, but they managed to to finally start putting some heat on them, and they ended up coming away with the win in that game. Today, when the Chargers made mistakes, the Packers were take advantage, to, uh, were, were able to take advantage. And you kind of do start to get a little bit squishy, I admit that, going by feelings and vibes and do you feel like the team is better? Do you feel like Jordan Love is playing better? does get a little bit squishy. It does get a little bit hazy and, I don't know, maybe Aaron Rodgers' astrology fascination over the past couple of years has finally gotten to me. But you just start to to go on feelings and signs and, and wonders and stuff like that. And the whole feel of this game could be different. I don't think we can let that go 
by the boards either. How do you feel about this game? How do you feel about how the Packers offense does if the Packers don't trip over themselves? Or if one of the Chargers players falls on Jordan Love's fumble? Or if Austin Eckler doesn't trip over himself and fumble inside the 10-yard line? I know those are either things that didn't happen. We're making up things that, you know, that could have gone another way or things that did and, and didn't matter anyway. But still, the Packers seem to keep improving. Granted, they have improved the past couple weeks, past two or three weeks, against the Brett Rippon Rams, who couldn't do anything on offense. Uh, the Steelers, who are not known for having like a great traditional defense, they make a lot of plays based on sacks and turnovers, which is not necessarily a, fun, a fundamentally sound defense. It's, it's one that relies on splash plays. You take away the splash plays, you take away the defense. That's basically what we saw, I feel like, against the Steelers. And then the Chargers have one of the worst defenses in the league. Nevertheless, I feel like, as we say frequently on this show, you can only play the teams on your schedule. And the Packers, two out of the past three weeks, have taken care of business against one of those teams that, well, maybe they're supposed to beat. Now, Matt LaFleur said after the game, you're only as good as your last game, or maybe it was you're only as good as your last win. He is adamant that he doesn't want to to make any sort of statement about a, a team turning the corner. I get that. At a certain point, though, you're going to look back and say, yeah, this team did turn the corner. At some point near the middle of 2023, they turned it around. They started playing better, and we can look back to maybe this window of four or five games and say that's when it really started to get better. Maybe they don't ever get better. Maybe they don't ever become a good team under Jordan Love. That's very possible. It might even be likely. That might be the most likely outcome that they never actually become a great team or even a good one under Jordan Love. But if they do, there is going to have been this moment where they turn the corner. Maybe you are seeing it right now. We can't say for sure that we aren't, but proving a negative is impossible anyway. But maybe we are. In any case, as long as the key, the Packers keep performing well, they're going to keep being in games. And I think the way that Packers are keeping games close now is different than when they did it early in the season. Early in the season, it almost seemed like they were doing it in spite of themselves. Now, it seems like they're a little bit more cohesive. And funny how the defense looks better once you start consistently scoring points. Maybe not even all that consistently, but it's easier for your defense to look better if you put them in situations where the opposing offense isn't taking over, you know, close to midfield already. Complimentary football. That's how it works. Of course, coming right down the pike is the Detroit Lions. Are the Detroit Lions. Thursday football, Thanksgiving football. The third game for the Packers in 12 days. The Lions had to come back today to take down the Bears. Look, Thanksgiving can always get weird. A lot of sloppy, bad football on Thanksgiving. A lot of weird stuff happens, and you never know how this game could turn out. We've been pretty down on the Lions in the past. The Lions are proving why I think they have to be taken seriously at this point uh, over the course of this season, and they've got a pretty good hold on the NFC North right now. They're the team to beat right now. And if the Packers could make a statement against the Lions on the road in a nationally televised game, down a couple key players due to injury, Maybe then we can really say for sure that the Packers are improving. Young players, the rookies, a big reason why the Packers were improving today. Let's take a look 
through our rookie class real quick. Lucas Van Ness, two tackles today. He rushed at least once with his hand down today. Not a stand-up outside linebacker, more of like a defensive, like a traditional defensive end, like 4-3 defensive end, similar to what he did in college. That I think is a trend to monitor. He also rushed, he was rushing inside of Devondre Campbell, who was on the outside of, uh, of Van Ness, kind of on his outside hip as a quasi-edge rusher. I believe on the play that I'm thinking of, he dropped into coverage. I suspect that's not the only time Van Ness did that, but we will have to take a look at his snap breakdown once we get a little bit more information about that early in the week here. Luke Musgrave, four catches for 28 yards today, narrowly missed what could have been at least a very long catch, if not an 80-yard touchdown, thanks to Jordan Love overthrowing him on the left sideline. Got to hit those throws. Those are schemed up plays to get that exact throw there. Musgrave is designed to do that exact thing. That's why you want him on the field. Just can't miss those. And we missed a a big play for Luke Musgrave uh, because of that. Jaden Reed, six targets today, three carries, 78 yards from scrimmage, one touchdown. Nobody had more plays coming their way other than A.J. Dillon today. He had 14 carries and four targets. Reed with the six targets and three carries, just nine total plays used for the Packers offense, but he was a, if not a focal point, a point of emphasis today. Tucker Kraft finally got what you think you could call a real reception here, a half a foot away from, and I mean like his actual foot away from probably the most exciting Packers touchdown of the year as he went cannonballing down the right sideline. As it stands, two catches for 32 yards in his first explosive play. Not too shabby as his role continues to increase in the Packers' offense. Colby Wooden, nothing in the stat sheet today, as with uh, Sean Clifford as well. Uh, Though Wooden was not a DNP, Clifford was. Uh, Dontavion Wicks, three catches, 91 yards. His 35-yard catch and run, a thing of beauty. Toughness, strength at the catch point. Great, great stuff there from Dontavion Wicks. Hopefully he can get out of the concussion protocol and onto the field for Thursday in Detroit. Carl Brooks, another sack, third of the season. Productivity versus those those rate stats with pressures. Getting the quarterback down is always going to count for more than just uh, consistently getting somewhat invisible pressures. Brooks has been a nice steal on day three of the draft for the Packers. A nice building block along with Kenny Clark up front for the Packers. Anders Carlson, rough day. For Anders, missed field goal, though long. His first miss from longer than 50 yards this year. Also missed the PAT. I think the less said about Anders Carlson today, the better. Uh, Just hopefully he can get back on track for the Detroit Lions in Detroit. A place where where we've seen some struggles from Packers kickers, well, specifically one Packers kicker over the years, Mason Crosby. Uh, has had some rough outings in Detroit. Carrington Valentine, four tackles, three passes defensed, and once again did not back down from anybody today. Anthony Johnson Jr., four tackles in the secondary. Speaking of Valentine and Johnson, how rough was the Packers secondary from a personnel perspective today? Got a report early today from Matt Schneidman of the Athletics. Sorry, Matt, for butchering your name there. Uh, that Jair Alexander was going to play, that turned out to not be true. So I don't know what happened there. Schneidman usually pretty accurate on reports like that. Uh, but the the inactive list comes out and Jair Alexander is on it. That means that the Packers were really without their top five preferred defensive backs, depending how you want to count Keyshawn Nixon. But no, uh, no Jair Alexander, no Rasul Douglas, obviously. No Eric Stokes as he is back on injured reserve or still on injured reserve as he was on a, on a different list to start the season. No Rudy Ford out there today. No Darnell Savage out there today. Pretty lackluster group in the secondary. And yet, you look up and Justin Herbert not exactly setting the world on fire, thanks in part to his wide receivers, 
mostly deciding to take the day off. Anyway, uh, between Valentine and Johnson and Val- Corey Valentine, pretty solid group performance. I mean, again, a lot of that had to do with the Chargers receivers, but they're out there every rep contesting, and, and Valentine is not backing down from anybody yet again. Malik Heath finally gets off the schneid with his first career catch. No longer an O for the season for Malik Heath. Also had a very, very unusual play where the the Chargers kick things high and short on a kickoff. He ends up fielding the ball and looking a little bit unsure about what he wanted to do with it. Looked to, like he was briefly considering turning and laddering, lateraling the ball to Keyshawn Nixon. Nixon had some uh, evocative words for him on the field. He was gesticulating quite emphatically uh, to Malik Heath. I would you know, pay good money to wonder or to, to hear exactly what he said to him there. Uh, and by good money, I mean like four bucks or something like that. Uh, but it would be interesting to know what the always keyed up Keyshawn Nixon said to Malik Heath in that exact situation. Uh, the undrafted, the other undrafted free agents, Emmanuel Wilson, three carries, 12 yards and one catch for nine yards. Unfortunately, got a little bit banged up today with a shoulder injury, injury, excuse me, said that he actually dislocated his shoulder uh, post game, uh, well, not he didn't dislocate it post game. He said post game that he dislocated his shoulder. Uh, that sounds extremely painful. Would prefer to not have that happen to me if we can avoid it. Uh, Brenton Cox inactive today. Ben Sims no stats, but appeared to be out there quite a bit from my observation on the couch. Again, no stats, no catches today. Uh, also worth noting, rookie Caillou Blue Kelly inactive today uh, in his first week in Green Bay. Couple quick observations here, and we will send you on your merry way as you start off your Thanksgiving week. Uniforms today, ah, absolutely incredible matchup. In the early game, like fall day lighting, couldn't have really asked for much more. I love these Packers throwbacks, a lot of fun. I, I mean, I love the blue stuff over the years, but the 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 green over green looks really really good, and I, I'm just big fan of this set. Um, it makes me wonder if they would ever toy around, and this wouldn't be accurate, I don't think, but uh, it makes me wonder if they would ever toy around with a green helmet. You see those like mock-ups online every so often. You can buy them as merchandise, like a matte finish green helmet. Look, I'm just asking. I wonder wonder if they would ever consider doing something like that or if too many people would think it's absolutely sacrilegious. Uh, I would reserve judgment on that until they actually decide to do it. But, you know, just toying around with the idea a little bit. Chargers, of course, always look great, especially the guys wearing their blue socks. I would normally ding their uniforms for not having TV numbers on the jerseys. That's what those those shoulder numbers are, are actually called. But they actually show up on the helmet as well. Great solution to that more modern trend of not having numbers on those shoulders. But just great, great-looking game. Uh, going to really enjoy looking at photos of this game over the years whenever we have to refer back to Packers throwbacks or uh, talking about you know the Chargers playing the Packers, stuff like that. Fantastic-looking game at Lambeau today. Jordan Love has broken the Packers' 300-yard curse. You probably heard this during the broadcast and people mentioning it left, right, and center on, on social media. But December 12, 2021, the last time the Packers had a 300-yard passer, Aaron Rodgers putting up 348 yards that day. Jordan Love. Clocks his first 300-yard game of his of his career and the first time since 2021 we've seen a Packers quarterback do that. Next up, we need Love to crack 400 yards. The last time we saw a Packers quarterback do that was October 20th, 2019, 
when Aaron Rodgers and the Packers obliterated the Oakland Raiders at Lambeau Field. That was probably the best game productivity-wise of Marquez Valdez-Scantling's career. Had a great catch and run in that one, playing on a bum ankle, as a matter of fact, uh, for some historical nuggets from that game. Uh, Go back and watch the highlights of that game. Has a big, long catch and run, but it's broken open by a great downfield block from Aaron Jones, so we can tie it back to the the current team as well. Uh, Always fun to watch uh, big blowout highlights, and I'll just give you that excuse to do that. Speaking of offensive performances and breaking breaking curses, Jaden Reed finally made a Lambeau leap. So did Christian Watson as well, which means that we are breaking the offer on the season on Lambeau leaps. Romeo Dobbs also scored a touchdown, went back and reviewed the film. He did not appear to do a Lambeau leap, but Tucker Craft did, even though he didn't officially score. So we've kind of got three leaps today, two official ones. Props to Tucker Max for jumping in the stands, even though I'm pretty sure he knew already that he was out of bounds. Here's a nugget that is only for the the nerds and weirdos and sickos out there about football stuff. Make a clarification on that one. That's the kinds of nerds and weirdos and sickos we want on this podcast. The Packers had a drive today where they had a false start, a fumbled snap, and then a missed field goal. And as Fox and the broadcast are going to commercial, they bump out. uh, That's what that music is called there, the bumper music. They bump out with Land of Confusion by Genesis. Is that a coincidence that you have the the false start, the snap by or the snap issue by Jordan Love, and then the missed field goal, back to back to back, and they they you know bump out with that particular song? It might be, but I do know, having worked in media, that they do try to incorporate things like that. Whenever we were doing talk show stuff or or stuff on Wisconsin mornings, Wisconsin's morning news or Wisconsin's afternoon news, we tried to use bumper music that was appropriate to the subject matter at hand. I know for a fact that they do that on TV as well. And I know that they try to localize music a lot. Rudy, the good question asker, was actually the person that brought this up in our Discord server, asking about whether or not they they make decisions like that um, based on what's going on in the field or or localizing music because we tend to hear a lot of violent femmes uh, during Packers broadcasts uh, on a variety of networks because they're a Milwaukee-based band. I can say for sure that is true, that they do try to localize and and go with... um, bands that are from a particular area, just to add a little bit of interesting connection. So pay attention to stuff like that. Uh, you can you can pull out some interesting nuggets or jokes or, or little in-jokes from the production team, all of that going on behind the scenes. It's stuff that makes people like that working behind the scenes laugh, even if they know that nobody notices. They know what's out there. And that's half the fun sometimes of putting stuff like that out on the air. I've done stuff like that on Blue 58 as well, too. There's a, a little... If you want to go back and find one of them, one of my favorite ones is uh, a joke for exactly two people, myself and somebody else, in my conversation with Cliff Crystal. If you can find it, let me know what you think it is, and uh, I will I will reward you accordingly. I don't even know what that is, but what that would be. But there's a, a little bit of an Easter egg in there, and Cliff knocked it out of the park kind of unintentionally. But anyway... Stuff like that does go on behind the scenes. That little kind of production twist always appeals to me, and it was cool to see something like that, we think, today. Packers, of course, are going to be on Thanksgiving next, and I did want to make a little bit of a note about what's going to be going on programming-wise. Just so you know, I'll make another mention of this after our last podcast or after our next podcast. We're going to do a preview episode coming out on either Tuesday evening or Wednesday morning, just depending on when I decide to schedule it. I'm not sure when we're going to do stuff after the game. 
try to take things th- slow a little bit around Thanksgiving, uh, just because with you know all the moving parts of family and and food and and all that, sometimes it's hard to get time to record and hard to to get time to prep and all that stuff. Um, especially with the Packers playing on Thanksgiving. I wouldn't expect something like immediately after the game or maybe even on Friday, but we are going to try to get something out on that weekend just we address the Packers game as it happens. But just going to be moving a little bit slower on Thanksgiving, and I would encourage you to do the same. I want to do a longer segment on that thing in particular uh, on the next podcast, but we'll leave that for the next podcast. In the meantime... I'm going to say that's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. Before I do the ending spiel, remind you that we are starting our holiday fundraiser right now. I'll have more details out sometime this week about prizes and, and what you can stand to gain from, from participating in this. But if you are interested in doing that, go to Aaron Jones' charity website, donate, take a screenshot of your donation, send it to me, thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com, and you will be entered for one of those prizes. You can look back at what we've done in past years. It's always good stuff. I uh, want to do something kind of in line with that um, for this year, uh, maybe with a, a couple of interesting twists in there. I haven't ex- exactly worked it out yet. We're wa- kind of launching this a little bit early on the fly just to, to pay tribute to Aaron Jones and all the great stuff that he's done in Green Bay over the years after he sustained what could be a, a at certainly a very painful looking injury today, even if we don't know how long it's actually going to keep him out. So get started on that. We'll have more information about that coming out in the coming days and weeks as we head towards the end of the year. In the meantime, that is all I've got for you on this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it that's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.